Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Friday, March the 2nd, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day. And we got a lot of reasons to be happy, not the least of which is that it's TGIF. So the work week is drawing to a close. Happy Friday, everybody. This is good. And of course, every day is good, too. But Fridays are especially good because... uh, that's when so many people get to go home and spend time with the family, go home and, and maybe they have plans for the weekend. Maybe they're single and they're going to be hitting the town. I mean, anything but the work week. So it, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. How you doing? I'm doing pretty wonderful today. Um, you know, I was thinking, okay, what's my update today? Because, you know, I have an update every day on Project X. That's true. You do. And I recognize that Project X encompasses many parts of my beliefs and who I am, and my spiritual growth. And I would say the piece that is kind of new since yesterday's show is that I've gotten greater clarity on what I was talking about yesterday, which may not sound like it's part of Project X, but it kind of is for me, which is how I was really wanting to have a deeper, more personal relationship with the non-physical part Mm -hmm. of me. Sure. Um, which I call my inner being. And then you and I, after the show, we're talking about that a little bit more. And I was able to describe it even deeper, which was I was relating it to when I was married and how even if my husband was not in the same house as me, if he was at work or out somewhere else, I still felt a wonderful connection to him. Hmm. And that helped me recognize that is essentially what I'm looking for. I want to have this connection And so one of the things where my thoughts went to is when I was a Christian, I remember people talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I ever really felt that, but I know I probably said it just to be like everybody else. Sure. But one of the things I do know is when I chose to walk away from all things church and explore explore my spiritual relationship with a higher power, which at the time I still was calling God, I remember thinking that there would be a void in my life where this personal connection thing was concerned. And I think that's what I'm still seeking for is because I did at that time kind of feel like I was in a personal relationship with the spiritual part of me. And I don't know that I've found a way to map that over into what my belief systems are today where I still have that spiritual touchy feely personality kind of something. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I had that, it would feel very different for me as I'm going through the manifestation process process toward project X, because then when I ask questions, instead of it feeling just like yes, no data, it would feel more like, um, loved ones being a part of what I was doing. Because I did get the information yesterday that there's a lot of beings that are behind me and supporting me and cheerleading me and orchestrating things on my behalf. But I thought one of the things that was very interesting when you and I talked yesterday after the show, I'd never put it into these terms before, but it was, it's, I was talking about the information I receive when I do receive information mm-hmm. feels more like it's just neutral, like the, a data packet of information. But I'm really wanting to have kind of a more warm and fuzzy feeling. And before anybody thinks, well, is that even possible? What I know is if I want it, if I want or desire or think up anything, I know it's possible to have it created. So that's what I'm looking for, and so that's what I'm turning my attention towards, is to look for a more sensory-based relationship with all that is. Well, certainly connectedness is big. I think it's big Mm -hmm. for everybody, regardless of what their belief system is. Uh, And I think it's no less true for those of us who are uh, interested in and learning about and studying and practicing as well as we can how to be deliberate creators. the thought that came to me as you were describing all that is uh, you have all those beings behind you, but you also have everything else, every other being in existence connected to you. I mean, because we're all connected, right? We're all part of the same mm-hmm. substance, the same energy source, if you will. And because of that, 
we are all connected. I mean, it just on that level. Now, does that mean that we necessarily feel that? I mean, I'm still learning that connectedness. You're, you're, you're actually late years ahead of me in terms of that, that part of it. But I'm learning it. I'm, I'm learning it, and I'm beginning to, to start to sense it. And any time that I get any kind of, of connection, any kind of impulse, whatever, and I'm realizing that it wasn't originated in my conscious mind, I said, whoa, who was that? <laughs> there's something going on here there's an actual there's another being that's in some way quote talking unquote to me mm-hmm. well that is a form of connection now is it the warm fuzzy connection of uh, a significant other who you're spending a lot of time with and having dinner and all that kind of stuff no it's not that same level obviously but the connections are, th- are actually there what was the thing that co- that uh, Abraham says at the beginning of every workshop it is good to come together for co-creating I don't think that's just like an abstract thing they say. <laughs> I think they really mean that. No, no, not at all. And like for me, I mean, ever since I was small, uh, probably the in Christian terms, it was called the gift of the spirit. Mm-hmm. My gift was the gift of knowingness. Like I receive knowing. I just I know when I know. But there's not a sensation of form and fuzzy that goes along with it. Mm. Like I said, it's much more data oriented. It's very neutral. It's kind of dry. Mm. And um, I think my strong desire now for a more warm and fuzzy personality like um, experience is my desire to have more physical sensation. Oh, because, um, you know, like way back when I was taught to deny my feelings. So I did. So I cut them off. So I, it, even if they were there, I wasn't allowing myself to re- recognize them or acknowledge them. And even though I do have a lot more feeling, if you will, in my life, and I do recognize it, there's parts of me that still feels a little bit cut off from it. Hmm. And so I think that's what I'm doing. I'm calling that toward me. That's my, my desire that I have great awareness of now, that I want to feel, you know, connection not just no connection. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. And, well, that makes sense. Um, there was also something else that we talked about yesterday, and I can't remember if we did it before or after the, the show. So if it was after the show, then listeners forgive me because it sounds like I'm talking about something that you don't know about. <laughs> but um, I was talking about how I wanted to be able to have uh, English uh, conversations, conversations in, in the English language, with uh, uh, non-physical beings. And today I find I have to amend that after my conversation with Tom in the morning podcast. Hmm. I find that I actually want something a little bit different than that. I want to learn to, for lack of a better term, learn to speak vibration because vibration is the language of the non-physical. Well, it's one thing I suppose to ask them to learn my language, but why can't I learn theirs? I am, after all, mostly non-physical. That's what they're, they're teaching us. The only thing that's lacking is that here in the physical world, I've somehow lost track of how to talk physical. That's really cool. <laughs> how to talk that vibration. That's a very cool thing to, you know? to desire. What, why, why not learn to talk vibration? Why not learn to talk non-physical? Why can't we do that? Well, I think we probably could. Well, I will. I, this, is, this is what I surmise, that if you start to tune in vibrationally, I don't know that you'll be able to speak English words to other people necessarily to describe it because the world of energy, the world of vibration oftentimes defies or is outside of label. That's right. I can live with that (laughs) because I mean, seriously, we we can create new words if we really need to, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I say that because my experience with my friend Keisha, she lives in a world of energy where her right, first language was understanding energy and vibration. Mm-hmm. And then she learned how to speak English. And so as she and I became friends, um, the area that we most had difficulty is that she would have sensations and feelings of things. And I, I want to know, hey, what are you talking about? Yeah, right. She had the hardest time describing it to me in a way I could understand because she'd just say, well, it's just it's the energy of this. And I'm like, the energy of what yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, she had a hard time labeling the what it was so yeah. um you know it took us a long time to be able to get on a, a pattern that i could understand her and that she could understand me but that that was my that has been my experience of 
somebody who speaks the language of vibration um, as her first language. It was a little bit rough going, but it well, certainly well, doesn't mean it's not possible. Clearly, language is tough when you don't have nouns. Nouns are important for, for human language. So when you don't have nouns, you're kind of stuck. Like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and we could probably come up with verbs to describe stuff. But nouns, if you don't have the nouns, yeah, they're, they're important. So you have to come up with things like what Esther does. She comes with, with like thought forms and things like that. Well, okay, you know, why not? We can come up. We can well, invent I, nouns. I love the desire that you have. That's really cool. Um, so I'm excited to experience the unfolding of that as you talk about it. I'll tell you honestly, you know what one of my reasons for that is? I want to be able to have conversations with my cats. I know that just sounds weird, no. but I do. I just want to be able no, to it be doesn't. I mean, cuz hey, Joy I talk to I talk to pets all the time. I talk to babies <laughs> who are nonverbal all the time. Oh, I'm sure they so, talk yeah. to me too. The problem is I don't understand them because they're probably talking in vibration ease. <laughs> and I don't know the language. <laughs> so, you know, I figured they probably already know the language. They probably never lost it. I just have to learn how to to understand what they're saying so that when they're communicating to me, it, it's not all sign language, you know? Because <laughs> right now the sign language is, you know, the cat walks you over to the door. Oh, you want to go outside? Okay. <laughs> it would be much easier if the cat came up to you and said, uh, in vibration ease, you know, I'd really like to be let out. Could you open the door for me? <laughs> <laughs> Well, since you have such a strong desire for this, I know the unfolding of it is imminent. By the way, uh, there was a, a video that got passed around on, on YouTube about three years ago, and I just saw it for the first time, but I passed it along to Louise, and I thought I'd mention it here because it involves cats. It has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about other than cats, but it was cute. It was a picture of a, a video of a, a um, an orange tabby who was in slow motion trying to catch a snowball. And he, he, was, he was catching it like a wide receiver, reaching high up in the air to grab the football that's flying by. And he, he actually uh -huh. caught it with the paw. He just couldn't hold it all the way to the ground. But it was just an amazing oh, oh. piece of acrobatics. So I just thought I'd mention that. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like we said the other day, there are so many fun things that can give you laughter and yes. create happiness when we look at some of these videos that are shared on Facebook. Oh, they're wonderful. You know, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Facebook's <laughs> particularly good for it, too, because with Facebook, the more that you like stuff, the more Facebook sends you that. It's like having a built-in law of attraction instantly, and you don't even have to believe in it. So it's it's really cool. You just keep liking stuff like that, and you'll get a whole bunch more of it. <laughs> it's good, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. So anyway, we're, we're still on uh, the law of attraction, the basics of the teachings of Abraham. We're in Section 2, and we're up to the subsection that's entitled, I Decided to Improve My Life. And I th thought that I wrote this one because I decided oh, really? to improve my life. But when I, that's why I first decided to study Law of Attraction because I decided to improve my life. Um, what I didn't realize is I, I only wrote the headline. I didn't write the, the text, but the headline was mine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, why don't you be Jerry and let's hear what he has to okay. <laughs> So Jerry says, I recall that as a kid I had extremely poor health and my body was very weak. And then as a teenager, I decided to, and did, build up my body strength. And I learned how to defend myself. I practiced martial arts and got very good at self-defense. From the time I was a teenager until I was 33 years old, there was seldom a week that went by that I didn't have what we used to call a fist fight. That I didn't hit somebody in the head. It doesn't sound like he was a very <laughs> nice guy. Esther like this guy? Uh, no, well, forget that. <laughs> I'll tell you, he, he's like the most humble, kind, <laughs> gentle soul. And so this shocked me when I read this about him. <laughs> so it does go to show you people really can't change. <laughs> so he had a boxing nickname, right? He was Jerry the Bull. Is that it? So anyway, <laughs> he says, then in my 33rd year after reading in the Talmudic excuse me, boy, I got to say this right, in the Talmudic anthology about the counterproductivity, boy, oh boy, the counterproductivity of taking revenge, I made some major decisions, and one of them was that I was going to stop taking revenge. And since then, I have not had to hit one person. In other words, <laughs> I like all that those... I've not had to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've read that one too. I, in other words, all those people that I believed were picking on others and starting fights with me from the day that I stopped practicing fighting 
practically, uh, physically and mentally, those fight-provoking people stopped coming into my experience. It probably also helped that he stopped swinging at them. (laughs) (laughs) Really? So then Abraham responds and says, so in your 33rd year, you changed the direction of your attraction. You see, through the process of living your life and having those fights week in and week out, you were coming to many conclusions about what you wanted and what you did not want. And while you may not have been consciously aware with every fight you experienced, you were getting clearer about not wanting that experience. You did not like being hurt. You did not like hurting others. And even though you always felt compelled, I'm sorry, even though you always felt completely justified in your reasoning for fighting, clear preferences were being born within you. The attraction of the book you mentioned, which is that uh, Talmudic anthology, um, came about because of those intentions. As you read the book, it answered the questions and... It answered the questions that had been formulating within you on many levels of your being. And as those answers came, a new intention was clarified, and a new point of attraction was born within you. But, you know, I relate to that in that, now, I didn't do martial arts, and I wasn't beating people up, but I kind of was. I just was doing it with words. So I used to have so many... I guess kind of fights, arguments, frustrations with vendors on the telephone. Uh, People that I would call because, you know, I I got my phone bill and I was mischarged for something and I was trying to get it reconciled or, you know, whatever vendors I had. I just remember spending so much time arguing with them because they'd say one thing, I'd say another, and things weren't going the way I wanted to. And when I wasn't happy about something or when I didn't feel like I was getting my way, I took it out on people, you know, and I read them the riot act and I told them how they should have been, should be treating me. And I told them what should be happening. And of course it was an unpleasant conversation, but I went through this for decades. I mean, not just a couple of years. I mean, this was a constant battle. No matter who I called, there was another battle ready to be ensued. And it took me a long, long time, Walt, to recognize this was causing me a lot of pain because I'd get off the phone and I'd be really angry or upset or frustrated or disappointed or or just, you know, throw my hands up in the air because I don't know how to fix something, felt out of control. And it could last sometimes for me from a couple hours to even a couple days. I mean, that's how much it got inside of me. And I realized you know what? I don't like feeling this way. I want to feel better. I want to not, if I have something I have to call a vendor for, I just want to be able to call and like get it resolved. I don't want it to turn into World War III. But I realized I was the one that was turning it into World War III. I was the one that was picking a fight with the customer service agent. And slowly but surely, I started finding new ways to interact with people, but I'd think about it before I called and I'd set the intention. I want this to end up in a good place. And so I, I think that's what, what Jerry and Esther or Jerry and Abraham are talking about here. Would you not agree? Well, not only would I agree, but I want to know why you were listening in on my phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> so that was your experience too, huh? Yeah, I tend to do the same thing. I, maybe not quite to the degree that you're talking about, but I, I think we've all done that to some degree or another. And oh, my God. I have felt so sorry for people who are in customer service that have to talk to me, yes. or at least who had to talk to me. You know, Now, granted, I learned this from my father because I used to listen to him when he would call vendors. And he, just, he read everybody the riot act because nobody would give him the level of satisfaction that he was looking for. And I just thought that's how you talk to people to get things done. You know, and then he'd call him back again and he'd read him another riot act and he'd call again and he'd say, let me talk to your manager. Let me talk to your supervisor. And he'd read them the riot act. I just thought that's how it was supposed to be done. Yeah. But then I had my my own epiphany. Mm -hmm. This is pretty Mm -hmm. miserable for me. It is. Not only am I making them unhappy, but I don't like this. And so I thought, I wonder if we could, we, and I meant we, we could co-create me and a customer service person that we could have a pleasant exchange. Mm. And now I do. Now, now I turn them into my best friend, and it's fun. 
You probably get more done in less time, too. And and even if we can't get something done right away, we've had a good time while we've been talking or on hold waiting for something, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't do it so much with beating up customer service representatives. I did it with uh, beating up people in political arguments. But it's basically the same phenomenon, just a different venue. Yeah. Different venue. It's one of those things that I, I think you're right. I don't think we realize that the angst that we feel when we come away from one of those is something we created. I think we usually say yeah. it's the other person. Well, the other person wasn't responding properly, or they didn't have the right answer, or they, they were ignoring me, or they, they didn't solve my problem, or you know, it's always them, 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 them. It's never me, 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 me. It's not like, never, it's not like <laughs> I volunteered that, yes, it was me, I screwed up, I was the one who, no, we don't do that. <laughs> and we, do, mm-hmm. we, we basically put ourselves in that place over and over again, and we, do, we can do it for years. We can do it for a long, long time, and then finally something kicks in, some experience happens, somebody says something, and the light bulb goes on, and we wish the light bulb would go off because it's like, oh, God, I'm the one who's been doing that. <laughs> well, I, I know I remember telling you that many years ago when I was in traditional therapy, um, my therapist you know, asked me one day, because I was talking about being frustrated with somebody that I was dealing with, it wasn't a vendor, but it was like it was still a customer service person, you know, or a cashier or somebody at a, a department store. And she said, well, how, how often do you think that you feel frustration? I said, 17 times a day. Oof. Wow. She, 17? Like, where did you come up with that number? I said, I don't know. That's the number that pops in my head, and I'm pretty sure it's accurate. <laughs> wow. Like, okay, but that so stood out in my mind. Because back then, I didn't think I was the cause of it. I thought that other people were doing it to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you know what? My therapist didn't have 17 times a day where she was in frustration. My friends didn't. Now, my father probably had 17 times 17. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, not everybody experiences frustration everywhere you go when you talk with people. But I felt like I did. And... I don't anymore, and I know that's because I change the circumstances. I'm the one who comes into relationships with people, even if it's the first time I've ever met them that I've gone, I'm going through the grocery store and getting, you know, having the checker, you know, that I've never seen before. I, I have a new intention to be friends with everybody that I meet. I have an intention to maintain a sense of happiness everywhere I go, and if I see you know, something unpleasant coming my way, I step aside and go somewhere else because I like to feel good. And now I can honestly say, I think I'm addicted to it. Mm -hmm. It used to be addicted to frustration, but you know, let me tell you, if you're going to be addicted, be addicted to happy. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a whole lot more pleasant. And, And I'm sure you noticed this right away. I noticed it when I started modifying my own behavior. It's amazing when you're dealing with somebody who you, you're, especially with a call center, you're calling them to ask for help. And we all know what the the uh, mainstream, popular, cliche-like beliefs are about, you know, what people are like when they work in call centers and, you know, what, what, what level of intelligence they have and how helpful they aren't and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we, we all know those things, so we kind of go in with those expectations. But when you go in with a different expectation, when you go in with the expectation that they're just doing the best they can, they're doing their job as well as they know, they, if, if you give them half a chance, they're actually going to be going out of their way to try to help you because they really, that's how they get their, their excitement out of their day. When you go in with that expectation, not only is it more pleasant, you get a lot more done. I mean, more problems get solved quicker. You don't have the problems hanging around as long. At least that's what I found. I don't know if you didn't find it or not, but it yeah. seemed like the, the problems got solved a lot easier just because of the way I went into it. Another way to reframe this that I just, I just thought of one of the things that had been really, I thought just kind of difficult to work with when we started coming more into a digital age where now oftentimes you have a customer service that's on a chat line or that you have to email and, and you know, you, not every company has a live operator anymore that you can talk to. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And, oh, my gosh, that really frustrated me for a long time because I had finally made peace with, you know, customer service agents, and I was nice to them, they were nice to me. And now it's like you get a chat person, you know, and and now it was even more impersonal. And so as I'm thinking about it, I think I have so much more appreciation even going forward when I get an opportunity to talk to someone live 
and have a real people-to-people conversation. And certainly I want to make it a positive one because it's becoming almost obsolete for us to even have such things as personal, you know, customer service. Well, well, I'll give you an idea, a little clue. It's a little game that I play that makes talking to the, the robot answerers a lot more fun. Okay? You ready? All right. You want to take some notes here? Okay, here we go. You get the thing that says, okay, uh, thank you for calling. Uh, our, our customer service people aren't available at the moment, but we, we will be happy to put you in the queue to talk to them. Um, in the meantime, could you just state the nature of your problem? Ding! So you know what you're doing at that point. You're basically, you're, you're going to say some words. They're going to look for something that, they, that the machine recognizes and say, oh, are you asking right. about this? So in order to get through the machine as quickly as possible, I'm, I'm always trying to get to the prompt that says, I can't seem to be able to help you. Let me see if I can find a live operator to help you. Cause that's how I know I'm going to get through the system fast. Right? So my approach is to say something like, well, the dog pissed on the paper and the door is open with the curtain. I don't know why the door is open with the curtain, but the book is flying, flying off the floor and there's a tissue on top of the book. And the automated system comes back and says, I don't understand what you're saying. Could you please repeat that? And then I'll say, well, it's, it's the book that flew off the door on the handle. And, and the, the machine says, I'm sorry, I still don't understand. And you go through about two or three of those and says, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just able to, not able to understand. Let me give you to a live operator. And boom, I'm through the Yay. whole system. <laughs> <laughs> now, I never thought about doing a little storytelling that's creative like that, but I like it. And you can have fun you know, doing it. You can make it what up. What is it, the quick? What is the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog? <laughs> yes, right. Isn't that the isn't that the sentence that you use that uses every one of the keys on the keyboard? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, I remember that. That would be a good one. I, yeah. I could say that one. You just you just make stuff up. <laughs> that's funny. And, and the only thing that you want to avoid is any word that has anything to do with the actual thing that you're calling about, because if it recognizes right, right. a word, you oh, then it'll grab onto that. So you want to stay away from those keywords. But just stay away from the keywords and have fun. Have a good time. You know, tell them about the restaurant that you went to last week. I, I will say that I have found a way to have joy when receiving solicitation calls that used to just drive me batty or dealing with the prompt, you know, telephone prompting like you were just referring to. Um, I had a call yesterday where this lady says, hello, Wendy. And I said, yes. And she goes, oh, my God, it is so hard to get a hold of you. And I'm like, really? And I promise you, she sounds so much like one of my coworkers named Sandra. Mm -hmm. So I'm, like, engaged, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. And she goes, well, I just wanted to give you a quick call. And then she was calling about some charity. Ah. And I thought... That was kind of clever. It was, and I yeah. thought I'm gonna I'm gonna give them kudos for making it sound so personal, <laughs> and then I hit call block. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> kudos first, call block second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now what's so interesting is now that the primaries are coming up, you know, I get so many solicitations because I'm one of the few people that actually has a home number, you know, that's published. So yeah, I'm, right. <laughs> I'm the person who gets everybody else's calls. Um, I probably get about five or six a day. I mean, it's pretty extensive. Um, but one because I have a phone system that I can use call block on, well, now if a call blocked call tries again, the telephone rings once, then on the ID it says call blocked, and then it, it goes away. But now that I have so many calls blocked, I'm getting like 10 call blocked calls coming through a day hmm. and i'm i'm just like I, i'm amazed at how many there are and i'm just so grateful that my telephone system will block them for me yeah it's nice that's a nice thing that's i mean i even had someone call at 5 45 in the morning to tell me i should vote for a particular judge <laughs> really 5 45 <laughs> so you know what i did because i i always think in terms of law of attraction uh, all right well, I got woken up. I wonder if somebody wants to talk to me. Is this a good time to meditate? What's up, guys? And I just like <laughs> talk to all the entities that love me. Go, so what's up? Yeah, right. And I did. For about 15, 20 minutes, I kind of meditated on Project X. And I went, okay. And then I fell asleep. <laughs> well, that's nice. By the way, there's something else we should point out, too. In case listeners are among those who still have a tendency 
to call the call centers and get all upset and blame it on the person at the other end of the line. Some food for thought that might be of interest to you is that the people who work at the call centers do the, the exact same thing about people who call in. They say they get they point the figures and say, I get so tired of these people calling in and they're abusing me. It's like, it's not my fault, but they treat me like it's all my fault. How, I mean, how am I supposed to help them? And they go on and on like that. So the counterparts are on both sides of this thing. And, and it's important it's, to remember that. And that's the co-creation. It is the co-creation. Because I re- recognize that when I was in frustration land, I was always matched with somebody who was easily agitated. Like it would take almost nothing to to fuel their fire for them to get all pissy with me and you know argumentative with me, and then on the flip side, now that I I, I start out my call, I don't even make the call unless I get an impulse that this is the time to do it. So now when I make a call, my expectation is I'll be matched with somebody who's very pleasant, extremely helpful, wants to go out of their way for me, mm-hmm. and again that's law of attraction matching me up. And it works very, very frequently, very, very consistently. Well, law of attraction works 24-7, whether we know it or not or thinking about it or not. So whatever (laughs) vibrational state of being we're in, whatever emotional mood we're in, we're going to find someone who matches us. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know? By the way, there's there's also a story that used to go around among people who did technical sport. And I remember this story from like the early 1990s, just as the computer age was kicking into gear and the internet was kicking off and all that kind of stuff. It's a story about a woman who calls in to a call center after having just acquired a computer that was delivered to her by mail. And she'd set the computer up. She'd actually managed to plug it all in properly and make it work. And then one day it stopped working. So she called in to ask for help with it. She gets on the, the line, and the, and the person she talks to says, Hello, Mal, how may I help you? And, oh, well, my, I was working with my new computer, and it just stopped. It stopped working. He says, Oh, well, okay, I think I can help you with that. Uh, so tell me, tell me in more detail what happened. Well, I mean, I was, I was trying to learn more about you know, using the mouse and clicking on things and so forth, and then it just, everything went black. It just stopped. And he says, Oh, hmm, well, we may actually have a technical issue here. Can you tell me anything else? I mean, like, can you try, uh, have you tried uh, restarting the machine? Well, I, I, I tried, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? Well, he describes how you restart the machine. No, I mean, nothing's happening. He says, hmm, well, is, is it plugged in? I'll go for the obvious, right, if nothing else works. <laughs> so she checks, yeah, it's plugged in and everything. He says, wow, I, I can't say I've ever heard of anything like this. What, what were you doing at the time um, when, when it went black again? Tell me that part. She says, I was just mousing around and, you know, learning how it all worked. And, and then the lights went out and the computer went out and it hasn't come back since. <laughs> she lost electricity. <laughs> and so the technician says, ma'am. I understand completely. I can help you with this problem. It's really simple. Here's what you do. I want you to take the computer and just take it apart and put the components back in the box. Then I want you to wrap the box up, put a note on top, and the note should say, Dear computer manufacturer, I am too stupid to own a computer, so I want a refund. Send it back. We'll be glad to send you a check. (laughs) 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 So you see, we live on both sides of the line here. Yeah, yeah. I I thought the note was going to say something like, Dear computer manufacturer, are you aware that your computer will not work with my electricity? (laughs) That would have been the nicer way to say it. But I had to say it this way because what kind of things do we say to the call center when we call in? Yeah, You're obviously too stupid to do this job. Let me talk to somebody who's a real human being. You know, how often have people said stuff like that? You know? Well, guess right. what? They're yeah. saying about us. <laughs> We're always, always matched up with somebody. That's right. <laughs> you know, equal our point of attraction. Exactly. You know, exactly. When I was, in, when, I mean, I used to go into things, you know, make a, a customer service call, like just waiting for a fight. Like, I'll show you because I felt so powerless. I needed someone to do something for me. And when they couldn't do it the way I thought they should do it or whatever, I felt very powerless. 
And so how I, you know, tried to take my power back was by being angry or by being belligerent or being demanding. Because I'll tell you, being demanding feels better than feeling a sense of despair and hopeless because I can't get anything accomplished. So I do understand when, like, we talk about the emotional guidance system and how, you know, the emotions, emotions are kind of stacked in a specific order as to, you know, the ones at the bottom are the ones where you feel most powerless. And as you move up the ladder, it's you regaining your power. And, like, despair and hopelessness is at the bottom. But anger is about three rungs higher. <laughs> because when I was angry, I did feel more powerful than when I just felt helpless and out of control. So those were also examples that I was starting to learn as, as I was learning about law of attraction. Those were examples that I had in my life so I could understand what this emotional guidance system was and how, like, how is it Abraham could say that revenge is better than depression? Yeah, I always revenge wondered about that. just horrible. Yeah. But when I really recognize, because I have felt revenge before, there is an element of feeling powerful when you feel like you can take revenge upon something or someone. That is a much more powerful feeling than being depressed. Yeah, absolutely so true. It, it, it sometimes feels a little bit weird to say, well, when you're depressed, can you just think a thought that might make you feel better and you might get to revenge and you go, yeah, I feel better now. <laughs> of course, the rest of the world was really wishing that you weren't. Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> and when you get your power back, you can always turn your computer back on, and, and that way you won't have to call the call center and, and make a fool of yourself. So, <laughs> One thing I do want to assure people, though, and, and this is important, is that all of our listeners are empowered. In fact, they're so empowered, we've even set up links on the homepage for them to subscribe and share. I just wanted to make sure that they were aware of that. So those who are not yet currently subscribed, we empower you to become subscribers. And guess what? In the power, in the process of becoming subscribers, not only do you become empowered and enlightened, you get your daily dose of happy. And that means you'll never get chewed out by the call center. So subscribe and share today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if we can promise them they'll never get chewed out by a call center. <laughs> but if they do get, get just, you know, glean a little bit of insight from our experiences about how to no longer get chewed that's, out by call center. That's people, exactly right. You know, <laughs> in their direction. <laughs> Absolutely true. Very, very true. So, yes. And, <sighs> and, and we do have a good time here. And that, that's really the most important thing anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes I know, you know, we talk on some pretty heavy subjects. Sometimes yeah. not so heavy subjects. We had one but yesterday, you know, actually. Yeah, yesterday was a pretty heavy one. Yep. But I got to tell you, I felt really enlightened and inspired after our conversation mm. yesterday. Yeah. Because I felt even though it was very deep and there was a side of it that could be considered quite unpleasant. Oh, very unpleasant. There's, there's a level of power in understanding and recognizing how we are the creator of our own reality and we have choice. We always have choice as to what we want to feel. We can't always, you know, we can't choose what other people do, but we can choose how we react to things. We can choose what thoughts we want to continue to think about a certain subject. And sometimes it does take time to make a change in how we think. But the nice thing is we get to choose. We That's get true. to choose. That's so vitally important. And that actually ties in that, that ties into the next section of the book. I don't know if you realize that, but this next All section right. is one of the well, heavier ones because the section is entitled "What's Behind Our Religious and Racial Prejudices." I mean, that's tying right into what you're talking about there. So okay, Jer well, Jerry says. Jerry says, "Why is there prejudice?" There it is. Abraham answers, "It is often felt that there are those who do not like certain characteristics about other beings. So, in their dislike of those characteristics, they are responsible for the prejudice." We want to point out that it is not only the doing of the one who is accused of being prejudiced. More often, the one who feels discriminated against is the most powerful creator in that experience. Oh, there's a lot of people not going to like that one. Hmm, that's interesting. After we finish this, let's talk on that. Yeah, that's going to that, that's gonna rattle a, f uh, a few cages and shake a few feathers. 
Um, the being who feels that others do not like him for whatever reason, whether it is religion, race, gender, or social status, no matter what the reason is that he feels that he's being discriminated against, it is his attention to the subject of the prejudice that attracts his trouble. Well, that's, that's a little bit different then, isn't it? Yeah, so the subject that we kind of went, ooh, is we want to point out that it is not only the doing of the one who is accused of being prejudiced. More often, it is the one who feels discriminated against is the most powerful creator in that experience. Maybe a more direct way of saying that is if we have a, t uh, a tendency to feel discriminated against because of experiences we've had, we tend to, in a sense, put out signals that say, here's somebody who um, reacts powerfully to being discriminated against, so all discriminators, come on over here. Pretty much. Which is, it's a rough thing to hear that. Well, um, you know, I, I know, I know somebody who I, I've been very close to in my life who has often felt incredibly discriminated because of race. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I witnessed how often this person would get into potentially race racial scuffles mm. like i actually witnessed them and it didn't look like any big deal to me but if you listen to what his uh, takeaway was you know how he told the story it was how somebody was there and making fun of him or picking on him or you know and i'm like but i was there and that was not what i watched it's mm. not what i witnessed yeah so because my friend came from a mindset that he has, is being racially profiled and discriminated against, he totally attracted that to himself on so many occasions. And it really, it, it was really helping me understand how law of attraction really works because these were my early years of law of attraction. And I was like blown away because, I mean, I understood, like for me, the discrimination that I felt was that people discriminated me because of my weight. Well, I had so many really close friends say to me, Wendy, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see the body that you're describing. You know, you're saying horrible things about yourself. I see you as beautiful and radiant. And, I, and I'd look at them and I'd just kind of go, what do you know? <laughs> like, you're wrong. <laughs> what have you been smoking? <laughs> and, and, and But it's like I felt... Like I was being picked on. Mm. I felt like I was being discriminated as the fattest person in the room. And since I do feel very differently about myself now, um, I find it fascinating that now I can walk into a room, you know, let's say it's a lot of party, a lot, lot, lot of people, and I might be the biggest person in the room, but I no longer feel that way. Mm. Or now for the first time, I actually see other people who aren't real skinny minis either. I didn't see them before. <laughs> you know, everybody was skinny except me. Mm. And now I go, oh, look, there's lots of people who are all sorts of sizes here. Mm -hmm. But I'm very aware how me being the one thinking I'm discriminated against, I'm the one who brought that on. I see that now, but it wasn't very funny when I didn't see that. And I thought I was being a victim. That I was remember really uncomfortable. It, well, I'm sure it is. I remember one time seeing uh, an Oprah Winfrey special on her own network where uh, and I, Louise was watching it and I came into the room and so I sat down and watched it with her for a bit because uh, it was kind of interesting. I don't remember what the name of the show was, but it had something to do with like a, a frank talk about race or something like that. Um, and they had all these very famous people coming on and it was, it was kind of like in her master class style. So, so each of these people are basically talking directly into the camera. And they're all presenting their perspectives on, you know, how much progress has been made, what progress hasn't been made, um, you know, maybe particular events in their lives and so on and so forth. And then this one person, I can't remember who it was, came on and essentially said, I used to be very, very concerned about race and very, very upset about it until I finally realized one day that if I stopped being concerned and upset about it, it wouldn't affect me as nearly as much. And what surprised me is that it now doesn't affect me at all. And I thought, whoa, wow. that's quite a comment. I mean, that, that one that one surprised me to hear that. I mean, that's somebody a, who had 
quite an enlightening moment. To oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was really impressed by that because that's that's not especially since uh, this person, she was appearing on a program that was discussing race and she comes on to say that. Wow. I was really impressed by that. So the good news, I guess, is that people are beginning to learn how to put the issue aside in cases where they have not been able to put it aside in the past. And, and to me, that's really encouraging because I've always believed that racism really wasn't going to disappear or any other kind of ism really wasn't going to disappear until we stopped paying attention to it. I mean, when law of attraction came along and said we attract what we attract into our life by, by thinking about it, I said, yeah, how about that? <laughs> that it really resonated with me. So hearing somebody say, yeah, we, we just got to stop even thinking about it. Like, whoa, that, that was good. That made me feel really good. You know, I grew up. As in a very white neighborhood, mm-hmm. and there were maybe four non-white students that went through my whole um, educational process, K through 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how white our neighborhood was. Yeah. Well, interestingly, the reason I say there were four is because I befriended them all. Each one of them was my friend, and they, in, mo- in all but like one case, they lived in, on my black block, and so, like, I went to school with them, like, the whole way through. But the other three, it's like their dad had gotten transferred, and so they were there for a year or two, and then the dad got transferred away. Well, I did see color. Now, I didn't know what racism meant, but I knew I saw color because when somebody came into my school system that wasn't white, they kind of stood out. Oh, yeah, sure. And you go, oh, you're the new kid. Yeah, now, right. of course, I was a real curious one, so I wanted to befriend them because I wanted to understand who they were and why they were different and how come their skin was different. That was mm. very kind of interesting to me. So fast forward, I'm going to college, and I went to kind of a, a local place, but I had to take a train to get there. And I was in fashion design school, and I remember one day, early on in my educational process there, um, one of the friends that I made, her name was Anne. She and I rode the train back together. And we were talking about class and we were talking about different things that had happened. And she was trying to say, well, you know that gal. And I went, I don't know who you're talking about. Now, there were only 18 people in my entire group. Okay. And we were together all day long. It's not like other college classes, you know, like universities where you like are in lecture halls with hundreds of people and you go to multiple lectures a day. There were only 18 people mm. in my entire fashion program. Right. And so when she's trying to describe this woman, I'm like, how is it I can't figure out who you're talking about? <laughs> and so she's saying, well, she's about five foot two. And she's got this, she describes the shape of her eyes. And I, I was just like going out of my mind. And finally, just out of grins, I said, is she white? And she goes, um, no, um, I think she's Sri Lankan. Her, her, and I went, oh, you're talking about Shrasang. And she goes, yeah, yeah, that's her name. And now Shrasang had kind of like an olive complexion. Mm-hmm. And she looked different than the rest of us. She was Asian. Mm-hmm. And yet I, I looked at Anne almost, not, I wasn't angry at her, but in just a sense of like, you've got to be kidding why didn't you start with that? And that's what I said. Why didn't you start with her race? It would have narrowed it down so easily. And she just sat there and looked at me and went, um, honestly, I never thought about that. <laughs> and then I said, how, and I said, now I'm really curious. How is that not something you ever think about? So she tells me about her elementary school and high school experience in the town she lived in, which was maybe about 40 minutes away from where I lived. And she said, "Um, I grew up in an educational system where we were pretty evenly divided between white, black, and Hispanic. And I went, really? She said, yeah. And so ever since I was a kid, I grew up with friends of all colors. I'm just used to that. And she goes, I just, it would never even dawn on me to identify somebody starting with their race. And instead, she started with their height and with their facial features. Mm. 
and I, that is one of those takeaways, never to forget experiences sure. that happened when I was like 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And I went, wow, she just described what it's like growing up in a completely different environment from where I grew up mm. and how ingrained what her experience was versus how ingrained mine was. Oh, yeah. Now, I wasn't, I didn't have a racial charge against any other race. I actually was very curious. But somebody's skin color stood out to me dramatically. Whereas for her, skin color, just they all blended as one. And I thought, that to me is one of the best definitions of how children, or the best examples of how children grow up to see or not to see uh, racism or color differences, etc. Yeah, just based on the experience of it. Mm-hmm. That's very good. So. so let's see, I think we have time barely for one more section because it's a fairly easy topic. The topic right, is, do, do likes attract or do opposites attract? And I'll do Jerry this time. Jerry says, Abraham, there's a statement that doesn't seem to blend with what we've heard from you. And that statement is opposites attract. That seems different from what you teach as far as like, as far as like attracting like. For instance, opposites do seem to attract like an ongoing relationship, an outgoing man with, will marry a shy woman or an outgoing woman will be attracted to a shy man. And Abraham says, everything you see and every, everyone you know is offering vibrational signals. And those signals must match before attraction can take place. So even in a situation where people seem to be different, there is a dominant basis of vibrational similarity for them to be together. It is law. Within all people, there are vibrations of that which is wanted and vibrations of the lack of what is wanted. And everything that comes into their experience always matches the vibrations that are dominant. No exceptions. Let us introduce the word harmony. When two are exactly the same, then their intentions cannot be fulfilled. In other words, one who wants to sell does not do well to attract another seller. But the attracting of a buyer brings forth harmony. The shy man attracts an outgoing woman because his intention is to be more outgoing. So he is actually attracting the subject of his intention. The magnetized skillet, whose iron, whose essence is of iron, will attract itself to another object whose essence is of iron. That is a bolt or a nail or another iron skillet. But it will not attract a skillet that is made of copper or aluminum. When you set your radio receiver to the frequency of 98.7 FM, you cannot pick up the signal of 6.30 AM being broadcast from its radio tower. Those frequencies must match. There is no vibrational evidence anywhere in the universe that supports the idea that opposites attract. They do not. Okay, now now hold on here. I wasn't aware that skillets went out with each other. <laughs> well, there's a new dating app. For is that what it is? You didn't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does give new meaning to the words "Iron Chef," but I mean, <laughs> I will have to say that 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 little paragraph about the magnetized skillet is kind of like okay. I'm not quite sure I like that metaphor. <laughs> what? The but heck? I do under I do understand the metaphor about the radio receiver. That part I get. Yes. Cover. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm still trying to understand how or why an iron skillet would attract an iron bolt. I was like, what? <laughs> what are they talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I will say I have in my own personal life used the radio tower broadcasting signal. Um, often for myself to understand things. Um, but, you know, let's go back to what Jerry was talking about, opposites attracting versus like likes attracting. Mm-hmm. I do understand it from the perspective that if you have a shy man, most of the, well, actually, I'll use my mother as an example. She was a very shy, introverted woman, and my father was incredibly outgoing, gregarious, 
and never met a stranger that didn't become his friend instantaneously. And she specifically told me that one of the major components as to why she was attracted to him is because in her shyness, she felt like she wouldn't get picked on because it was uncomfortable for her to go to a place where there's lots of people, especially if she doesn't know them, because there's an expectation of mingling. So if she could like hang tight close to my dad, he would take the stage, he'd do all the talking, and nobody would notice that she wasn't talking because he was bigger than life. And so that to me was just a perfect example of how her shyness, in her shyness, she was really focusing on, um, I'm not the life of the party. You know, I wish I was more outgoing. And so she really did focus on the what she was not or the mm-hmm. lack of the outgoing. Yeah. And she attracted an outgoing man. Mm-hmm. So that makes total sense to me in that respect. What so, about you? Do you have any ideas or well, examples? The, the one thing that strikes me about this whole idea of opposites attracting or whether it's likes attracting where human beings are concerned is mm-hmm. that we tend to make very black and white categories. We say that either you are opposites or you are alike. And in reality, it's like a gray area in every single relationship. There are going to be some relationships where there are more things that are different and other relationships where there are fewer things that are different. But in every relationship, there are going to be some differences. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an interesting relationship. They even said so in the paragraph. If you have two identical right. people, it's not going to work. Yeah, they might right. be pulled together, but, but, the, but the relationship is going to be uninteresting. And so they won't want to stay together. There have to be enough similarities for them to come together. That's like attracts like. That's the law of attraction part. But there need to be some differences to make it interesting and fun and exciting and different and, and worth staying with. Otherwise, what would be the point? I mean, if everything, if everybody was like you, your life would get really boring really fast. <laughs> yeah, and I, yes, and I will say that when um, um, I attracted some new friends in my life, I, I wanted friends because I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to have someone to go hang out with, you know. I wanted someone who was like-minded where we could talk law of attraction and talk other spiritual evolutionary journeys that we've been on. Um, and I really thought what I wanted is someone who thought like me because mm-hmm. it would make things easier. Right. But instead I attracted friends that even though we all had the same desire, which was to have emotional and spiritual growth in our life, we all talked different languages. We all, and we all spoke English, but we all <laughs> came from different practices and modalities and things that we had studied and learned. And when we brought those things to the conversational table, it made for incredibly lively debate. Oh, yeah. And sure. not like arguing, but it was so fun because we were like learning so much and growing. And when uh, somebody else would say something, I'd go, I don't understand what that means. And they'd explain it. What it usually would do is take something that I already knew and it would kind of put a slight twist on it so I could understand the very thing I already knew in a new way. Yeah, sure. And so we were like, we, we were attracted to each other because our desire for emotional and spiritual growth is like off the chain. And so that was the attraction. And simultaneously, what you're talking about is that there's enough variety in who we are that it actually made for more personal growth and development, which is what we were all about. Yeah, I mean, if people were truly opposites in every way, they wouldn't attract they're, they're, the opposites would make it too difficult to have any kind of relationship. So there's the proof that opposites really don't attract. Right. The similar can attract or even identical can attract, but they won't necessarily want to stay together because it's not interesting. So I think what happens in the most successful relationships is that they're largely similar, but just enough differences to give it spice, make it interesting and make it fun. Well, I think you and I create a lot of good spice here on the show. I think we do, too. I, I just wish I we had sure more time to do it today. That's all because we just ran out of time. But you know, we, fortunately, know. we get to do it next week. That's a good thing. Yes, we do. So let, let's do this again next week. Let's everybody have an awesome weekend. Whether you want to sleep in or whether you want to get a lot done, you know, set your intention and and um, enjoy it. And no matter what you decide to do, make sure you tune in next time because we're going to invite you back as well here on LOA today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye bye now. Mm-hmm.